Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This episode of the Power Ranking Show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your championships, finals, info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup Finals. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season as they have you covered for all of your insider sports wagering needs. From basketball to hockey to MLB, UFC, and boxing, it is the fastest and the easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games that are available to play right from your home. Get into the action today. Head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, nice job. Very professional read there. That was one, that was one of your better ones. You keep getting better every week. Thank it's amazing. You. That is at Marcus underscore Mosher. This is the Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. the Power Rankings Show. We got some uh, collection calls on Twitter that we need to get a podcast up. We finally did that this week. Yeah. And uh, we did some pretty interesting things. Uh, we did something really cool yesterday that we're going to talk about if you didn't listen to that. A uh, little bit of news first, Marcus. Uh, saw the news on the NFL Network. Uh, I think it was Tom Pelissero was reporting that uh, Dalvin Cook and the Vikings look like they are parting ways, which is really shocking to me because he's still one of the best backs in the league. He's extremely explosive. Minnesota is not in a division where I think they're uh, an underdog. I think they have as good a chance as Detroit or Green Bay or Chicago to win that division. And it's not like they're saving that much money. I think they're saving $9 million. In today's game, with the cap where it is, is that really that big a savings? Uh, you know, maybe to lock up Justin Jefferson on an extension or whatever. I, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? No, I mean, they're cutting him because I think they feel like his performance is dropping off, right? And they've got some big-time decisions to make uh, with Justin Jefferson coming up, with Kirk Cousins' contract after this year. Um, And I feel like they like Alexander Madison a lot. So, uh, no, we knew this was coming. Uh, It's not surprising. It just kind of shows you the, the shelf life of these running backs is 26, 27 years old, and then you're done. I Muted. Yeah, I feel like muting. <laughs> anyway, I feel like muting myself. Uh, I feel like that this is more about the money and less about the performance because I haven't seen a big drop off on Dalvin Cook's game. Now, if you want to get out a year early on a player, I can understand that. Um, but uh, I tell you what, and I got a note from a Marcus Mosher, who's a big listener <laughs> on our. I love that. I know you've never done a little pop-up note before. That was really no, cool. right. She gives you a little note so I can make sure you're saying the right things. That's all. Because whenever Elliot doesn't know what he's talking about, I like to say, hey, Dalvin Cook played for the Vikings and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's real, real funny. <laughs> Did you see a major drop-off in his game? I have not. I know he's had soft tissue injuries. I th- still think he's a really explosive player. Uh, and again, Minis- it's not like Minnesota's out of it. You know, I-, I just, I don't love this. I don't love it. I don't love it. You don't care. He's I, but right. I, I I think the fact that all the other NFL teams basically said, hey, we're not trading for you in that contract probably tells you quite a bit. Like maybe he's not dropping off, but I think the rest of the NFL teams are like, he he's either going to this year or we're just not going to pay that much for a running back no matter who you are. Bingo. 
Bingo, but that's a different conversation yes. than this guy can't play anymore. It's what do we value that position at uh, and then his talent relative to that position. Uh, but speaking of talent, we were talking historical talent yesterday. <clears throat> Marcus did his top eight defensive players of all time. We're going to recap that list real quick. If you didn't listen to yesterday's podcast, though, there was a lot more involved than just saying the names. But can you pop it up? We're actually experimenting with technology. Uh, this is Marcus's Tecmo list. It's genius. Uh, this is one of your, this, when you do real actual work, you do a really good job. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. Although the Ravens looks a little wonky. It's not your well, fault. Well, let's be yeah, fair. We, Ravens in uh Tecmo Bowl in 1993. So is that worth a lot of money? Is that one of those, uh, what do you call them again? Those things that are worth like millions of dollars that are just digital replications <laughs> of, uh, uh, I, I always want to call it Bitcoin. What is it? You know, the like when you can get a digital like picture of somebody. Yeah, and it's I like worth it. Why am I spacing out? Right? Well, we sound dollars. so old, right? Yeah, we do. Well, either way, uh, Marcus's top eight. He had Ed Reed at number eight. If you're not watching and you're listening to us right now, Deion Sanders, number seven, uh, Rod Woodson at number six, Bob Lilly. Uh, surprised me a little bit. He had him that high at number five, but I love it. Ronnie Lott, former safety and corner for the 49ers was number four. Aaron Donald, another surprise for me, not that Marcus had him at number three, but that Marcus didn't have him at number two because we've talked about this before. Now, I, I think Marcus got it right. I think Aaron Donald does belong at three. Reggie White at two. Lawrence Taylor at one. Uh, one, two, three are so, to me, easy to do. Uh, four is where it starts to get a little tricky, but I don't think a lot of people would argue with Ronnie Lott at four. Uh, what was your toughest cut yesterday? I think it was leaving J.J. Watt off the list. Uh, we had a long conversation about J.J. Watt versus Ed Reed. Uh, ultimately, I decided to go with Ed Reed at eight just because, it, and you made the case, it's so hard for a defensive you know, back, especially a safety, to have that big of an impact on the game, and Ed Reed certainly did. Well, we're going to rectify some of that, and uh, we we might get to J.J. Watt. Let's roll the uh, let's roll the team helmets out there. Of course, this is going to be pretty obvious when we see the team helmets. <laughs> Uh, about who made it because there is a Texans helmet on there, and I can promise you that that is I almost not... put a Houston Oiler, uh, the Tech Bubble <laughs> Houston Oiler one on there, but I think that might have confused some people. What if I really got you with like a Whitney Merciless or Jonathan Joseph mm. or, uh, you know, hey, Vince Wolf Ryan's had a cup of coffee with the Texans, didn't he? Like for one so. year, I think, yeah. I think so. Okay, so uh, we're we're not going to go uh, in descending order because we've already seen the top eight. So we're just going to go straight to number nine. You got a Rams helmet up there, and uh, for me, this is Deacon Jones. Yeah. And um, a really cool thing happened in the last year and a half or so. If you're an NFL historian, or if you love just stats, or if you're one of these people that likes to jump on Pro Football Reference like Marcus does. I think you're aware of this, Marcus, but they had historians go back and watch the film and put actual sack data from pre-1982 in for yes. all the defensive linemen. That wasn't available in 2021. That hasn't been available for years. And and they did that, um, I think, partially to disprove that Coy Bacon has the actual sack record for a single season at 26. Uh, he still had like over 20. But they actually went back and made sure watching film, watching NFL films, that these sacks were official. So Deacon Jones's sack numbers that have been rewatched and re-recorded from 1964 to 1968. So we're talking about five years, 14 game seasons. 
the guy had a hundred and a half sacks in Stop five out. years. <laughs> you think? He also had one of the most unstoppable pass rush moves that we've ever seen, oh, which is yeah. just awesome. It's just he's just gonna hit you in the head as hard as he can, and that's how he's gonna get around you. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, the, the head slap was uh, decimating as the best way to put By the way, I want you to know that in 69, he had a down year. He only had 15 sacks. So he didn't, he didn't keep up his 20 sack. I mean, that's, that is remarkable. I mean, I don't know why my voice just went up two pitches. But, uh, you know, you play, you play five years, okay, or a five-year stretch. You're playing 14 games a season. So that's 70 games. 70 games, and you have 100.5 sacks? That's ridiculous quite a few yeah i will say it was a little easier to get sacks then in one respect because or two respects one a lot more seven step drops mm-hmm. marcus they weren't doing the short passing game stuff and, and the had, yeah, right. yeah and the linemen had to keep their arms in okay the downside of trying to get sacks in is you weren't going i mean teams like now wouldn't you say it's normal for a team to have over 600 dropbacks in a season oh yeah yeah okay Back then, you're talking about maybe 350 dropbacks a season. Huge difference. Huge difference. So it kind of evens out in the end is my whole point. Um, anyway, I got Deacon Jones. Any thought on on that at uh, number no, nine? If I was going to add a player from the 60s or the 70s onto my top eight, Deacon Jones was going to be the guy. It was really hard to leave him off. So I'm glad that we did. we got him on pretty early. I got a feeling I who know who number 10 is. Because I was also debating on putting this player here inside of my top eight. Yeah, if you guys don't know, Marcus is in total Steeler country uh, where he lives. And Mean Joe Green is, uh, he's a living legend uh, where you're from, pretty much. Uh, Mean Joe Green was the principal, Mean Joe Green was to the Steelers defense as Marshall Falk was to the greatest show on turf. The queen on the chessboard, the guy that makes it all go. Uh, the guy that attracts the double team, sometimes triple teams, totally dominant player. Um, he was a first team all pro multiple times. In 1975, I think he sustained kind of a, a neck injury and he wasn't quite as effective player from like 76 on, but he was still as good as any defensive tackle in the game. He just wasn't Aaron Donald anymore. Um, I want to part of four Super yeah. Bowl runs. Or yeah. four, I mean, you, and you're the best player on that defense. On that now. team. On yeah. that team. On the team. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Franco Harris was great. Lynn Swan was great. Terry Bradshaw was great. John Stallworth was great. Mike Webster. But me and Joe Green was the best player on the Steelers. Here's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, he went number one, uh, 1969, right? So you're, you're, you're going a little bit far back here, but that's the combined AFL-NFL draft. Mm-hmm. It was the third one. He went to North Texas State. <laughs> He, Not I mean, North, North Texas. Texas. Yeah, it wasn't University of North Texas back then. It was North Texas State. What are the chances that a University of North Texas player is going to be going number one in any of our next five drafts? Never. 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 And we're lucky if we get a single North Texas player drafted, right? Yes. It, it, it's crazy to me because even back then, North Texas State was really small. So it was just as crazy back then that he would number one. So you one. wondered, like, how did teams get film on him? You know what? I It's it's a great question. Um, you know, uh, you, you know the North Texas Mean Green, and his nickname is Mean Joe Green. Mm-hmm. Honestly, back then, a lot of people were reading Street and Smith's. And if Street and Smith's covered you, it's it's sad to say, but our scouting still was not 
it was starting to become higher tech in 1969, but it wasn't there yet. So the key was really, who was your publicity director at the college? Who was your information, stats information person? I think North Texas State must have had a real winner there because yes. me and Joe Green got a lot of pub. Let's go to number 11. I don't know if you know who this is. Uh, is this uh, Night Train Lane? It is. Good Good yeah. guess, my friend. Good guess. Uh, 65 career interceptions. Uh, you know, if, if if you're part of that camp, it's like, how can you compare old players to new players? 65 interceptions in any era is going to stick out. And these aren't 65 interceptions. And this is what I want to ask you about, Marcus. It's one thing to have 65 interceptions. Boy, even that, that just sounds ridiculous it's to say. Ridiculous. It's one thing to have 45 interceptions. If you play corner and safety in your career. Because safe, like Charles Woodson, uh, you know, towards the end of his career, didn't he lead the league in interceptions one year with the Raiders? Yep. I'm pretty yep. sure near the end of his career he did. Okay. Doing that as a corner, I don't know how that's possible. Because you know teams don't want to throw at you. And it also means that you're still playing corner in your late 30s. It's pretty unbelievable, right? Uh, uh, he's kind of the gold standard for cornerbacks in terms of taking the ball away. Uh, yeah, I mean, what 14 interceptions is still the record for most interceptions in a season. We had Trayvon Diggs have 11, was it? Yeah, yeah. 11 in 2021, still three away from breaking the record. And that was in a 17 game season. I, I just don't know with how efficient passing games are now, even though teams are throwing the ball more than ever, if we'll ever see anybody break that record. Yeah. Night train had 14 interceptions as a rookie. In yeah. 1952, they won after him. He played for the Rams then. Then he went to the Cardinals, and he's his longest tenure, his best tenure, was with the Lions, uh, where he played with a couple other Hall of Famers. The other corner on the other side of Dick Nine Tree and Lane with the Lions was Dick Laveau. And they had a safety named Yale Larry. He's also in the Hall of Fame. Uh, one other thing here about Night Train. Night Train was an enforcer tackling. I mean, they outlawed his tackle. He clotheslined guys. So this was a guy that he had a couple pick sixes as a rookie. This is a guy that picked the ball off, and this is a guy that would absolutely hit you. He played, I believe, 15 years in the league, 14, 15 years. And again, 65 interceptions. He's way up yep. at the top of the list. Uh, we'll get more to the interception list in a second. Let's go to number 12. I think this one's pretty obvious. It's a guy that we talked about yesterday. J.J. Watt, as dominant of peak as any guy on this list, mm -hmm. period. And then a really nice career resurgence with the Cardinals, a la Kurt Warner, kind of a mid-career lull and came back and had uh, some nice seasons in a really effective 2022 season. There was a five-year stretch where he had 68 and a half sacks. Yeah. <laughs> and he was in that five-year stretch. He had three defensive players of the year, five all-pro selections, and like 50 pass deflections, and one more, 192 quarterback hits in that five-year stretch. That's just ridiculous. I, I think if you, catches, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, I think if you take, like let's say a four-year peak of any defensive player of all time, and you stack that up with J.J. Watt, Watt might be in the top three. Like his peak, I think, was higher than just about any other defensive player ever. Yeah, you know, something you talked about yesterday was the, the deflections at the line, right? So Tutal Jones was always kind of the unofficial leader in pass deflections at the line, but Tutal was six foot nine. And so people always just attributed that to his height. But 
everyone would say that knew the game. No, it's really about timing. It's about reading when the court, knowing the quarterback you're playing, does he pat the ball twice before he throws the 15 yard out? Does he, you know, turn his shoulder? It's, it's timing. And then it's disengaging with the lineman to get your hands up. JJ Watts, not six foot nine. No, you know, he wasn't the tallest defensive lineman in the game. He just knew when I'm not going to get there on this play and I'm going to disengage. I'm going to get my hands up. It's a really great play. It's a clutch play. It's, it's a stat that's kind of buried. It's one of those buried in the box score kind of thing. So I love that. Now I want to talk to you about something not near and dear to your heart, which is off the ball linebackers at number 13, because Marcus, we haven't had an off the ball backer yet on our list. And no. Dick Butkus, I put him here and I have a couple questions for you on this really short career compared to these other guys. He only played nine years in the league. Half of them were injury filled. But at his peak, he was considered the scariest defensive player in the league. And the responsibility of the linebacker in the 60s was different than the responsibility of the linebacker today. So how much does that matter to a guy like you that, A, this was the best guy at his position in the era that he played? And then the second part of my question to you is, you asked me earlier today if I tend to underrate the highlight real guys, like the Randy Mosses, mm -hmm. the Barry Sanders, and I do. Dick Butkus was the highlight real guy on defense. His hits yeah. are, if you've ever seen NFL films of Dick Butkus, man, it is a, it's crazy. It, it feels like the conversation for best off the ball linebacker ever is probably between Dick Butkus and Ray Lewis. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I it's, it's, I mean, they're part of a, a small, small group of, what would be the five, other name that you say. would put in there? Well, I would put a really underrated guy named Joe Schmidt that played for the lions. I would, I would strongly – I can't – I don't want to give away somebody All else right. that's on my list. That's fine. that's fine. That's fine. Uh, yes. to, me, to me, it's Dick Butkus and Ray Lewis. I would have went Butkus as well, uh, especially – I do think it matters when you are, like, considered the best player in franchise history a little bit, right? And, like, mm -hmm. you, your presence is, like – the whole team takes on your attitude, right? Yes. And – that city and the, the culture, they all just embrace you. And I think that's what Dick Buckus did for Chicago. So I guess what I was asking you is, do you think that a short crescendo can be mitigated by the fact that you're kind of the gold standard? You yes, know, like I, I almost put JJ Watt inside of my top eight. So yes, absolutely. Right, right. And then the thing that we talked about on the phone today, when Marcus was telling me, Hey, I, I think you tend to underrate these highlight guys. We were talking, who are the three guys we mentioned? Randy Moss. Oh, Deion Sanders and Barry Sanders yep. that I tend to underrate them a little bit. But your point was that, Hey, don't they make the game better by being spectacular and, and sticking, jumping off, out, off the page. Right. Mm -hmm. um, do you think Dick Buckus is that kind of guy, yes. even yes. though he's an off the ball backer? Yes. Because I think his physicality, is what drew so many to watch football, right? Yeah. The, the the hits that he had were bone chilling. And I think people really love watching that. Yeah, it's, it was a different era. And uh, I it was hard to leave him off this list. So I didn't. Okay, number 14. Well, it's another off the ball backer. But I want to be really careful. When I say off the ball backer, I don't just mean middle linebackers. So I didn't want to say this name, but it's Jack Hamp. And yeah. Jack Hamp of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'll never forget this. Uh, Dan Rooney, when NFL Network did like a top 10 list of Pittsburgh Steelers, and I remember somebody talking to Dan Rooney about it and about you know, the greatest Steelers of all time. And Dan Rooney said, why doesn't anyone ever mention Jack Ham's name as maybe the best Steeler? And 
it's a great point. Uh, Jack Ham had 53 career takeaways as a linebacker. Yeah. That's a ton. That's mm-hmm. the most ever, by the way, by any linebacker. Jack Ham, though, was a weak side linebacker, and his responsibility was to cover the back, to manhandle the tight end, and then cover him, uh, to hit receivers going across the middle if it was before the five-yard bump rule. That was Jack Ham's job, not to go get 10 sacks, and that's also the job of an off-the-ball backer. And so what I'd say to you, Marcus, is of all these guys that are on this list, I'd put him as the kind of guy that could play in today's game because even though he was smallish, We've seen that kind of linebacker come down in size over the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the first guy that really stood out to me was uh, Telvin Smith with Jacksonville when he was yeah. 218 pounds coming yep. out of Florida State. If Telvin could do it, Jack Ham can. I will also say Jack Ham has one of the coolest pictures in NFL history, right? He's got him just smiling with no teeth. It's awesome. Wait a minute! No, 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 no. That, that's Jack Lambert. You get, you oh. got, you got to get that. Yeah, the dog on it. Although I think Jack Ham might have been missing some too. He was well. Just true. I, I mixed it up. That's my fault. I listen. I was, I was big on a, bidding on a Michael Vick autograph card on eBay. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you actually brought that up because Jack Lambert's another guy. Like Pittsburgh's loaded, dude. They're loaded. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I hate to admit that. Another living legend in your area, Rocky Blyer. Another, he wouldn't make this list, obviously, right yeah. now, but another living legend where uh, Marcus is from. Okay, uh, number 15, it's New York Giant. Uh, now, this is going to be a guy that a lot of y'all have not uh, heard of. It's M Tunnel. Uh, some people call him Emlyn Tunnel. Uh, I, I believe the proper pronunciation is Tunnel. This was a safety for the Giants in the 50s. Now, you want to talk about super underrated? There's a reason for it. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's got 79 career interceptions, 79. I looked at his first uh, years in the league, Marcus. He had six interceptions every year for like the first almost 10 years in the league. Six every single year is crazy. But the reason a lot of people haven't heard of him is he came out in the early 50s. There were hardly any. There were less than 20 black players in the league. And it was really hard for guys like him and Dick Nitran Lane to get their pub. You mentioned Nitran Lane having the 14 interceptions. Do you know he did not even make the Pro Bowl? Having 14 interceptions How? in 12 That's games. impossible. Exactly. It Look, must have been I, one of those Trayvon Diggs years where pro football focus was criticizing the amount of yards he gave up. So I get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> some, some cruddy racial attitudes of the early 50s contributed to this. And it's why you don't know M. Tunnel better. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. He was a great kick returner, great punt returner. 79 interceptions. It's insane. And he played 12-game seasons almost his entire career. So uh, that, that was an easy one for me. Okay, last guy on my list here. Uh, it's Merlin Olson of the Los Angeles Rams. That's Olson, O-L-S-E-N. Uh, some of you guys know him from Little House on the Prairie. I think that was uh, he appeared on that show. Yeah, he, uh, did. he sold he sold flowers. Uh, longtime flower pitch man, but this guy had 14 Pro Bowl appearances. He was a great player in the 60s. Deacon Jones talked about how he was so strong he could manhandle uh, the guard and sometimes hit into the tackle so that Deacon Jones could go free off the edge and get to the quarterback. And the thing that I really like about Merlin Olson, why I have him at number 16 and I put him over Vaughn Miller is because Merlin Olson 
was so good late in his career that in his 12th year, he won the Maxwell club award, the, the Burt Bell award for the best player in the league as a, actually it was his 13th year. And he's a defensive tackle. I think Jalen hurts won the award uh, this past mm-hmm. year. He did. Yep. It's a different award than the MVP. Uh, if you're a 13 year defensive tackle and you're making, you're winning that award, you must be pretty special. But uh, Merlin Olson, last point on him. He was part of the fearsome foursome defensive line. They all weighed 275 or heavier in the 60s. And someone asked him in the 90s, could you guys play today? He goes, of course we could have played today. We were all fast. And if we weighed 275 without ever lifting a weight, how big do you think we would be if we lifted? Yeah. And uh, for Merlin Olsen, that was bragging because this was the most humble, gentle giant ever. Um, my question, though, to you is, do you feel like we have too many defensive linemen on our list? Because we've got Merlin Olsen, we got Deacon Jones, we've got Mean Joe Green, Bob Lilly, Aaron Donald, Maybe. Reggie White, we, it, J.J. It, Watt. We only have one true safety in Ed Reed, right? Uh, we do have uh, say, well, that's not true. We have two. We have Ronnie Lott and Ed Reed. Although Ronnie Lott played corner to start his career, much like Rod Woodson did. Uh, yeah, I think it's fine. Um, I I I like this list. I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't deserve to be in the top sixteen. My my last question for you is, who was the one guy that you just hated leaving off this list? Von Miller. Yeah, because I I, I always feel this pressure to have new guys on there but then you know and i understand that fans want to hear about new guys because they don't necessarily know all these names but here's the thing if you go new guys and you go the last 15 years where well, the nfl's been played for about 105 yeah. so you're you know that's just one seventh of league history yeah. and so you know the fact that we have two current players on our list is actually pretty good and the other thing is these guys make so much money now they don't have to play late in their career it's they true. also change teams, which means they change schemes. I think it's easier for a defensive player to have a great career, Marcus, if he's playing in the same defensive scheme with the same group of guys for his whole career. I'm just surprised you didn't have Sauce Gardner on this list. <laughs> Stop. Stop. I knew you were going to give me a hard time about that. No, I liked he, it, though. I, it, this is a really good list. I, I think in combination with my top eight, I, I think this is more than fair. Well, you know, I asked you – I said, with so what Marcus is referring to is uh, he was asking me, like, what current player do you think could most end up on a list like this? And I said, Sauce Gardner, because I've never seen a corner come to the league and be the best corner in the league as a rookie. Yeah. And when I was doing research for this list that we just rolled out, Deacon Jones, Mean Joe Green, Night Train Lane, J.J. Watt, Dick Buckus, Jack Ham, M. Tunnel, and uh, uh, Merlin Olsen, you know, I, I saw that Mike Haynes was really good as a rookie, but he won the best corner in the league. No. Probably the last corner to be the best corner in the league as a rookie is number 11 on our list. Dick Nitrain lane who had 14 picks. Yeah, so good. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I think Von Miller really is the one guy Von Miller to me is Travis Kelsey of the defense. He's so clutch. Is there, I mean, would you have had Von Miller on here? No, I think I'm okay. I, I think, if Von Miller can have like two or three more years where he gets a com- you know combined twenty sacks and has a couple more playoff wins, then I think we really have that discussion about him being inside the top sixteen. But I'm okay leaving him out until he finishes his career. My final thought on this is, you know, somebody out there surely driving around going, "Dude, where's Derek Thomas? 
Where's Derek Thomas? Where's Derek Ray Lewis? Thomas, yeah, well, uh, we may have to do another one of these little lists. Uh, but Derek Thomas was scary good. There's no question. The difference to me between Von Miller and Derek Thomas is just that Von Miller in the postseason has been unstoppable. He's got 10 and a half sacks in like 11 playoff games. Yeah. He was great in the Rams run that you've mentioned plenty of times on this very podcast. And then, yeah. of course, 2015, uh, he was amazing. But any any other guy that you'd really like to see, like, be number 17. Anyone besides Ray Lewis more current? More current? Uh, I mean, or same era as I Ray mean, you Lewis. know, my love for DeMarcus Ware. I don't think he deserves to be inside the top no. 20, but that's the only guy that I'm like, you know what? That guy was absolutely awesome at his peak. Um, he's the only one that I would include. Tell you what, if we're talking one year or one game, I'll put Darrell Revis with anybody. Yeah, that's a good I'll one. Put him, I'll uh, put him with anybody. Another name, I mean, Troy Polamalu, I don't think was as good as Ed Reed, but he was certainly as impactful. I think in the next group of eight players, at least he would be in conversation. I think I'm going to have to do the next eight. I'm, All right, I think there you I'm, go. I'm excited. To, we'll have to put it together, you know. Force so. you into doing a little bit more work. Yeah. You got anything else or we get out of here? We're good. I just, I really like the, uh, the Lions helmets that we have on here. <laughs> In the Rams. I, know. I can't believe we have three Rams inside of our top 16, almost four. If you were going to conclude Von Miller, you know, what's crazy about that is don't you think Rams are one of those teams that whenever you think Rams, you think offense. Yeah. I instantly think Kurt offense. Warner, Marshall Falk yeah. or, or Co- Cooper cup. Azakeem. <laughs> yeah. So in the 1950 Rams, I think at 38.9 points per game on offense, yeah. literally there's so many great offensive Rams teams and we have three Rams here. Yeah, so pretty, pretty cool. Three Steelers as well, but that's it for us. If you want to catch up on some Cowboys history, take a listen to locked on Cowboys. Marcus does that podcast with Landon McCool. He also does a really cool fantasy dynasty podcast mm-hmm. as well. He also covers the Raiders for USA Today, USA Today Raiders Wire. He is at Marcus underscore Mosher on Twitter. I'm at Harrison NFL on Twitter. And this podcast was sponsored by Bet Online. We appreciate everybody at Believe as well. Take care, everybody.